Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. I'm here right now because of Caleb co-host on this podcast one of the one of the several co-hosts it's good to have caleb back on the show i've been like i've been uh the lone ranger here lately i've been living too too much of that day-to-day living um my wife is currently on a new work schedule and so uh jake you're gonna think we're crazy right now but up until like yesterday it was up in the air if caleb and i were going to whether or not we were going to drive was it like thir- <laughs> 13 hours north t- 10 no, maybe it's ten hours north. Uh, so to, ten and a half, yeah, yeah, to go moose shed hunting. Um, we oh, just geez. we just decided we just decided yesterday that eh, probably not going to work. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I should but, uh, plan things out at least a month in advance. <laughs> that's my life right now. Once once my wife's on a new schedule, it just like throws everything out the window with with kids getting watched and and where I can be and 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 wh- how much I need to be at home, that kind of thing. So, uh, anyways, this this podcast. Great to have Caleb here. I really wanted him to be here because it uh, really was possible because of him, because he recommended this awesome whitetail podcast to me uh, several months ago. I think you first started talking about it, Caleb, that I remember uh, when we were driving back, and it was right before I passed out. Uh, we were driving back from uh, the Full Draw uh, film tour oh. in Iowa City. And yeah. um, you were you were like, man, I've been listening a lot to the Exodus podcast, and I heard this, this, and this. And I really think that if we approach this property in this way, based on what those guys are saying, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'll store that in the back of my mind. You know, of course, I knew Exodus right. trail cameras for years. Um, in fact, the first time I've ever heard of Exodus trail cameras was back on uh, Dan Johnson's Nine yeah. Figure Chronicles show. And yeah. uh, I remember hearing him talked about on there. I think you may have gone on there once or twice a long no, time ago. I know or Chad's did... been on there a handful of times, um, but I I want to say we were Dan's first ever partner when he started Nine Figures. Really? So that, wow. That shows you how long ago that was and, and how much cool. he's grown his business and how much Exodus has grown. And so um, I was actually, this is an intern. I remember kind of when that just started, uh, sure. that partnership started. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that goes, that kind of goes way back. And so then when Caleb was talking about the podcast, like, Oh yeah, I remember those guys. And I had seen some of your YouTube stuff. I think, um, uh, back in 2020 when, uh, you know, everyone consumed more YouTube than all the rest of the years of their life combined. Um, I remember watching some of your guys, I think it was a shed hunting video or two that you guys had up. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, I, I really enjoyed that cause it was like the time of year. Um, no, that would have been right during shed season when that was all going down, right at the start of shed yep. season probably. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it was getting me all motivated. It's probably one of those days when uh, my wife, she's a nurse, so uh, there was no uh, COVID downtime for her um, that I couldn't get out because I had to watch the kids. But uh, no, I, I've i been following you guys' stuff for a long time. And all that to say, we got Jake Hofer, kind of the voice of Exodus Trail Cameras, the spokesman, uh, who is a very talented host. He runs a couple podcasts. He has... Uh, it's just the Exodus podcast and then uh, yep. the, the land podcast. Keep it simple. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Those, those three word names. Oh, that's good. I like it. And uh, I, I 
tune in regularly. And um, there's actually been a couple of uh, Jake and I got a couple of mutual friends that end up on the on the show that uh, I know through work or or just other voices that I've heard somewhere else. Have you ever had? I was thinking this today. I should have looked it up. Have you ever had uh, Chase Burns on your show, Jake? I haven't. No, I um, I know Chase. Uh, he's obviously not ter- too terribly far from me. I think you'd yeah. be a good guest. I've listened to him on some other episodes, and yeah, uh, he's definitely a, a really uh, thoughtful person when it comes to all the things that we're interested in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was I, I was thinking, you know, that that's another Illinois connection that we probably share. Yeah, Chase is an awesome guy. Um, uh, he's been on this podcast before, and uh, he's been on uh, my work podcast, the Prairie Farm Podcast, and uh, uh, so we we're just saying how small of a world the whitetail world, and not just whitetails, hunting too. You know, last mm-hmm. night I was recording a live podcast with a guy that was a mutual friend with uh, Noel Gandy, uh, and turns out he just moved to the area where Caleb and I live, and uh, had him over to the house, met him, and he's a good he's a good hunter. He's does a radio show, and um, you know it was just like man, this is it's so cool when when those connections kind of overlap and and you see how that community fills out for itself in that way so yeah really really cool to have jake though on the show tonight and um we're just honored you're here man well i appreciate it i wouldn't be too honored i'm just a <laughs> very average guy <laughs> um that that is just ate up by uh whitetail and land and uh thankful enough to to work in in the space that i do sure well, we uh, we uh, are, are very grateful that you're giving us some of your time tonight, and we're going to have some fun talking about all the different things that Jake does. But let's start here by talking about Jake the Hunter. You got to you got to build your credibility here with the listeners, man. They got to know that you you like the hunt. <laughs> so, uh, can you just fill us in a little bit about maybe your favorite way to hunt, your time of year you like to hunt? Um, do you hunt anything besides whitetails? Just, just kind of build your, your hunting resume here for our listeners. Definitely like to hunt. There are way more exceptional whitetail hunters than me. So I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to preface this with that. Um, but I've always been ate, ate up with whitetails, uh, always been infatuated with them. Grew up on a really small deer farm as a kid. So, I mean, I literally, uh, had deer in my backyard really? as a kid growing up. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that was really cool just to see the cycle of a, of yeah. a whitetail and how their coats look like in the summer and then how mm-hmm. the fawns act and uh, how fast the antlers grow in the summer and then mm-hmm. how the bucks act differently during the rut and how as a kid you can't go in there during the rut because they're crazy. And <laughs> um, so, I mean, I've just, I grew up around whitetails. I absolutely love it. Uh, blessed to grow up in Illinois. Um, yes. I would say my favorite time to hunt is this is my most successful time to hunt, but my favorite time to hunt is late October with a cold mm. front. I think that is where anticipation is so high. You're not, um, you know, you haven't, you haven't been run through the ringer quite yet. Yep. More than likely. Yep. <laughs> so you're, yeah. you're bright eye and bushy tailed in the woods. And you're like, all right, it could happen. And I, I've just had really good, um, throw camera data over the years during that time frame. But my favorite, favorite day to hunt is November 10th. I've killed a lot of my bucks on mm. November 10th. I passed my biggest buck ever this year on November 10th. So I could have tagged out again on wow. November 10th. Um, mm. so I just, I just really love, uh, the, the morning of November 10th is, uh, you, uh, you like will that. not find me in the woods. Like there, you won't find me other than in the woods, November 10th. So, um, I turkey hunt a little bit this year. I put in, um, some CRP and had a lot of land project to do and only had so much time. So I kind of, uh, punted my Turkey season mm-hmm. and here, not to, not to get like 
pull us to the side here, but the turkey population here in Illinois where I'm at is definitely declining. And mm. uh, I was talking, I was talking with a guy yesterday actually. And so there was a survey for the state of Illinois in 2005, only 4% of hunters seen a bobcat. So hardly any. Mm-hmm. This yep. last year, that same survey, 25% had bobcat sites. Wow. wow. And so, um, in that, in that particular person, they hunt like 1500 acres of timber and there used to be turkeys all over and they said that they didn't hear a gobble this year. So could have shot a turkey, but I didn't really feel, uh, it was necessary. I wanted to self-regulate yeah, here yeah. a little bit, but I, I love turkey hunting and I, my favorite days are working on the farm. Like those are my mm-hmm. favorite, favorite days. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I love hearing that. And I love hearing that connection to the land and, and, uh, not just like, you know, sometimes really great whitetail hunters, they can be like a, uh, like a, almost almost treat the land like a drive-through if that makes sense like mm, i'm gonna to show it. i'm gonna show up at the right time i'm gonna get in here i'm gonna get i'm gonna i'm gonna remove i'm gonna extract this deer from the land and i'm gonna be on my way you know whereas guys such as yourself and a lot of the guys that you have on your show they they view the land as a community that they're part of you know going back to the Aldo leopold uh a way of of saying that you know of course i'm going to butcher his quote but it essentially says that you view the land as a community that you are a part of not just somebody who's there to extract and and use and abuse and and then you know on your merry way and so mm-hmm. um i like that and and i like the uh thoughtfulness that you put into your turkey season uh, my dad you know of course again first gen hunter podcast i uh, didn't grow up hunting my dad was an outdoors minded person took me fishing and and we went you know we'd go on man we'd go on backpacking trips out in montana and and go up into the boundary waters and do canoe trips growing up and somebody wasn't a hunter that's cool and um he uh you know one thing we do together that's a hunting thing every year now is him myself and my son we go on a turkey hunt on some farm ground that he owns and uh they just they're passive observers of course they just sit there in the blind while i'm calling and you know i set up the decoys and and uh so he started to take an interest a little bit in turkey hunting and so uh he listened to a podcast that i did and we talked about that decline and he's like you know is hunting a part of that and and uh you know or how does hunting factor into that and we talked about that and you know i think um I think that it's it's an honest question that we have to ask ourselves. Where do we fit into this? You know, obviously there's other factors we can't really control as as easily, like what you mentioned with predation from bobcats. Uh, another huge one right. uh, are raccoons. You know, the number mm-hmm. of raccoons on the landscape is just astronomical compared to what you know native native virgin America was before. You know, we started clearing the land and changing the ecosystem so so thoroughly in all these different places and and you know knock things off balance and so it's it's cool to see that you have that thoughtfulness going into that like yeah you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna <laughs> grind like it's november 10th and uh you know i'm getting a buck on the ground or i'm getting a i'm gonna get a gobbler down I like how you how you viewed it that way. I think that's that's uh, very thoughtful of you to to do that. But do you hunt anything else? Do you ever like go pheasant hunting, or do you have any Western aspirations for elk or muleys or anything like that? Yeah, um, I went to Nebraska 
two or three years ago now. I shot my first mule deer um, nice. during the late muzzleloader season in Nebraska. Loved loved that part of the country. It's really gorgeous and uh, had a lot of fun. And right now I'm building a lot of points in a lot of different states. I did mm-hmm. a over the counter public land hunt for elk in I think 2019. Nice. And uh, realized that's really. <laughs> Did not know way, did not know near enough to make that a successful hunt. And so I really enjoyed a lot of aspects of that, but I wanted to get into a higher success area and and mm-hmm. probably hire a guide and learn from someone that has done it. And uh, I think <clears throat> I'm really looking forward to that. So I've been building points for two years now and uh, kind of building out a, a Western strategy. And yeah, uh, whitetails have my heart, but I, I do find interest in some of those other uh, endeavors. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I love the story about growing up on a deer farm. That's that's interesting. And that you didn't get sick of it. You know, you hear about the people who grow up on a chicken farm and they never want to eat another piece of chicken. For the rest of their life. <laughs> but no, you you stayed in love with them and and keep on chasing them. That's that's really that's that's awesome. So, and you, I think you've killed the one of the oldest bucks I've ever heard of somebody yeah. killing, like a few years yeah. ago, right? Yeah. yeah, a super old deer. Um, that was actually on the same farm I was referencing here this past year. I got, I got, it's a permission parcel. I got permission. I think that would have been, that, that probably would have been 2019 actually too. And no, it was 2018, 2018. And that deer was on there and he was okay. way bigger the year before. And I had no okay. history. It was a brand new farm. And I would say he's like between 165 and 170 the year before. Sure. And was, was really random. And then, uh, the following year I got him in October, like to kind of that during that cold front period. And he was there yep. the 23rd. And, and then uh, sure enough, his brow times were the same and had, you know, a frame, but he's went downhill so fast. Yeah. And he was in there and he just looked so beat up. His back <laughs> hip was just messed up. I don't know if he got hit by a car that summer or oh, something, but cause he had like a he, funky tine or something too. Yeah. Yeah. He had like yeah. a crab crawl, uh, uh, like a, yeah. Crow's foot coming off the, the backside. And so, I wanted to kill him. <laughs> so, <laughs> the November 3rd, which is my second favorite day. And, uh, I ended up going in there and, and I killed him. It was the first time I've ever seen him on the hoof and was kind of set up on uh, a bluff that where my scent was shooting off to the side. And I saw him nice. at, like eight o'clock in the morning and he came in and hit a scrape and he went the other direction. And then I, I tried, he was really timid the year prior in 2018. So there was another deer that was, the like knowing how old he is he was mm-hmm. then uh he would want he would go in with the scrape with his tail tuck even after he shed in, in january tail tuck oh, very timidly hitting the scrape so i'm a big proponent of running cameras uh, on video mode and i know that deer yeah. was really timid he's limping he looks like he just got his butt kicked and so i just let out yeah. a couple of faint uh fawn bleeds that was the first buck i ever called in and so he went away for like 10 15 minutes and then he came back and he was just like right on the edge of my scent cone where it's shooting off to the cliff and he oh, couldn't yeah. go any further because it was a big honeysuckle patch and he couldn't get oh. out any further without exposing himself. And then he stood there forever and then he eventually walked out and I shot him. And then when I shot him, I was like, dude, this is a really old deer. And you get people that have all sorts of opinions. Like I really feel this deer is old. And the guy that hunted a farm further south, he's like, hey, nice deer. And then he's like, I think this is him from 2014. Oh my goodness. And I'm, and I'm like, no way. Oh. Yeah, I'm like, no way. And he sends me a picture of him, same exact brow tines, same exact frame. And I was like, he's at least four years old in that picture. And so wow. I was doing the math and I was like, I think this deer's nine years old. And I sent him in to, uh, to get uh, aged with, with cement, cementium annuli, which for anyone that's not familiar with that, it's kind of how a tree gets a ring mm-hmm. It has, they have lines in the bottom of the teeth and they, you know, chop it in and they put dyes and they count the, the rings in the, the teeth or the lines in the teeth. And he came back 10 and a half. 
and yes, yeah. wow. super holes. crazy. Yeah, <laughs> super crazy. I didn't wow. know. Like, it's surprising that deer live in that yeah. area for ten and a half years because they're <laughs> it's lower pressure, but relative to like gun pressure, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of archery hunters. But that deer, you know, flew under the wow. radar for a long time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's. And he didn't live on that farm either, too. Which was real. It was wow. pretty cool to kill him when he didn't live on that farm because, like I said, he was only there the year before, very briefly. So showed weird. up late October and and got got lucky ultimately. Shoot, wow. Shooting a buck of that age is so impressive. I mean, mm. it's it's uh, first of all, it's impressive that the thing lived that long, and then and then <laughs> two to be able to get the drop on something so savvy. I mean, can you imagine yeah. at ten and a half years old how many. Oh, how many man. guys yes. hanging off the side of a tree that that deer has seen and yeah. just like how, how many, many highways he's crossed how, how many times yeah. he's caught a hunter's uh scent stream and 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 everything else you know just just uh that's that's really impressive man that's that's an awesome story who'd you send the t- teeth off to did you send it to matson no so i sent it to deer age and i'm okay. pretty sure they i think they may have bought that business from those from those folks or maybe they're still up they bought their business from someone else but uh they're out okay. of utah i think now okay uh, okay yeah. i i had um i think her name is jen i had her on the exodus podcast and a long time ago 2019 probably okay. and so that's how i learned more about it too because you get people that think that it's it's not accurate or mm-hmm. you know everyone has their perception on it but right the science and data on it actually for the northern states once they get older it gets more accurate so mm-hmm. they're at the accuracy at that point is like 90% accuracy. So maybe it was nine, maybe it was 10, but regardless, he was really old. Yeah. 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 That's, that's such a cool story, man. That's awesome. What's that's your dream really buck? Cool. Do you have like, uh, is it, yes. is it just like a two hundred <laughs> or are, are you weird like me? My dream buck is a giant six, a giant straight six is my dream buck. <laughs> uh that is not my dream buck i respect that that's really really cool um mine would just be i mean if we're dreaming it's the it's the world record typical i mean absolutely Mm, i think that's like that yeah uh, by far i I mean any any big typical i mean i i just really want to kill a net typical boone and crockett animal i know we talked about how i feel about boone and crockett but like that a net 170 is what i want to kill um Hey, no, no, no reason he can't be a, you know, a straight six. (laughs) 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 Do you see that buck? Do you see that buck that Aaron uh, Sly shot this year? It was a seven point buck. He basically, I I think his spread is like infinity. Like his (laughs) antlers are just like coming straight out of the side of his head, like 27 inches or something. Yeah. Yeah, It's just a wild deal there but no that's uh that's awesome man and uh i hope you uh i hope you get your dreams there on on uh you know shooting a giant typical and and qualifying for boone and crockett with that that'd be that'd be a uh, uh, really awesome and uh of course caleb and i we're gonna have to crush your dreams on shooting the next uh typical world record but uh <laughs> <laughs> you got one in the you got one caged up ready for the year uh, <laughs> that's right yeah that's right must be nice uh, no, it, yeah that's that's uh no that's that's awesome man and I'm, I'm glad we're talking with a real hunter a guy who has all these hopes and dreams you know that's not always the case sometimes you know but but definitely a, a hunter all the way through and uh, uh somebody who's had some awesome success too which is is really cool to see as well you're also a land guy you uh you have the land podcast which is yeah. is dedicated to that but as you were saying just a few minutes ago you know you've been putting in work on your own farm i hear you talking about that on the show yeah you you talked uh you described this interesting process that you had for planting a bunch of trees recently. I really like the thought that you put into that. And if I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, you kind of described 
Like you're, you're mixing in your, you know, your, your long growers with your quick growers, you know, so that mm-hmm. you can have kind of that alternating, uh, kind of that turnover of cover really, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course you did your edge feathering too, with some of the cedars and, and did you say you planted some spruces as well? I planted, uh, some white pine as well, mixing okay. up the cedars. Yep. Yep. Nice. yep. And so just, just a guy who loves the ground he's on and, uh, you're obviously talking to all the right people getting that advice so that you don't, you know, make the mistake that Skip Slide talks about where somebody buys 2000 trees and they Man, all, they uh, all they're die. looking a little, they're looking a little ugly right now. We have uh, missed a lot of rain here where I'm at. Really? Uh, yeah. It, the the people to the north of us 40 minutes are complaining about too much rain, and here we are. I, I oh, bet man. you in the last month, I bet we've only got an inch and a inch and a quarter, maybe inch Ooh, and a half of rain. It's not and good, so, man. It's not good. Not good at all. But, we've been getting a ton uh, of rain here. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just planted a bunch of trees out at my place this, this last week. It was really nice having all that rain. But um, – uh, so what are you going to do? Like, what's how are you going to solve that problem, man? I would have to have my full time job watering those darn things. So <laughs> I've just I'm hoping the strong survive right yeah. now. <laughs> um, I so the 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 conifers I am able to water. I can water those. They're all in one kind of spot, and I can get my truck to it and have a water tank in the back. But mm-hmm. how I planted them as a forest, it's not like I can just drive down the rows and mm-hmm. and water right, them. Yeah. And so I'm just I'm just hoping and. Uh, it's a part of a CRP contract so I can get call share to replant it next year if I have to. And, and so to the point of not being the guy that plants 2000 trees for the first, I planted almost 500 last year and had an excellent survival rate. Mm-hmm. And so I felt confident going into this, but you know, I can't control the rain no, and I'm not no. going to build an irrigation system or, yeah. or, or, or babysit them that much. It's just, yeah, I, I'm hoping some of them have deep enough roots and I'm hoping that, um, you know, they'll snap out of it and we'll get some rains here, but it's just the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to put some time into it, but I was thinking today, cause I'm, you know, we have no rain forecasted for the next, for the 10 day forecast right now. And that's just not good this time of year. Um, especially with the way June, July, August, and September have been the last two, three years around here. Um, I'm thinking about taking a backpack sprayer, filling that thing up with water. And I know I won't be able to get everything, but maybe do that couple days a week go out and just give everybody a drink every every tree that i can hit a drink and maybe that can get Mm -hmm. them to hang on until a break in the weather or something we'll get a good another good rain but but no man that's 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 uh that's part of it and you're here for it you're you're gonna keep doing and keep trying that's that's what's awesome too is is that you're you have that dedication there and that's not just a one-off thing where where uh you got a you know a a itch to do something you you truly care about the land you're stewarding it that's that's really cool um part of that too is uh you do real estate correct you uh do some yeah. brokering, brokering or something like that yeah i got my license actually in my senior year of college and yes. uh, so i've had it for six years now nice. and always had an infatuation with land always wanted to i aspire to own land mm-hmm. and so I figured what's the best way to do that is to get as close proximity of transactions. And uh, yeah. what's the best way to do that is to get your real estate license. So um, I'm not going to give this you know overnight success. Like, oh my gosh, I was selling a bunch of land right out of the gate. Yeah. I shouldn't have because I did not know much. So um, over the last three years, though, I've, I've uh, been able to help a lot of buyers and sellers and uh, have learned so much through the podcast and, and just getting connected with people that do a lot of transactions. And so 
Mm-hmm. I have real confidence now in assisting buyers and sellers. And uh, that's so rewarding. I think you mentioned how you like to introduce hunters. I really, as a, as a first generation landowner, like same kind of theme here yeah. to help other people buy their first piece of ground. And that's kind of where the land podcast started because as I was going through this journey myself and trying to learn everything and make good decisions and not be frivolous and understand how to do it, things correctly. And it's a huge decision. I learned there was just a huge gap in knowledge between the guy that has already bought 20 pieces and the guy that's just getting started and saved mm-hmm. money for the last three years. So I wanted to essentially bridge that gap as much as I could. And people have been so open and welcoming to share their stories. And so it's been a, it's been extremely rewarding. The emails I get on a weekly basis, the calls I get, the messages I get, I mean, it, that show has really made a big impact for a lot of people. And um, it's, it's, it's been really one of, one of my favorite projects I've done in a long time. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Is there is there a uh, like a certain? I don't know. I think we're, I know we're gonna maybe get into some advice here. But would you like just any piece of land? Like, have you found is like more more important to help you get started, or would you say it's like it's got to be like the absolute not not your dream farm, but like the right piece of land? Yeah, I think the the biggest theme I've noticed from people is like you just simply have to get started sure. and and kind of buy a maybe I'm not saying an undesirable piece, but a piece that might not have it all, but you know, you have sure. to get started. But what I think is even a, that's kind of the easy part, picking the farm. The hardest part is saving up the money, right? Finding a lender that's going to cooperate with you and, and shop for a good rate, find someone that's going to help you take off those rose colored glasses or people that get, I mean, that's ultimately like a broker. Like a lot of times you're kind of being the voice of reason. It's obviously always there's their decision, yeah. but you want to make sure they have all the facts. And so maybe I just had a call this week and, it was a, a piece surrounded all by ag. It was 50 acres and to the north of it was a 40. And the listing mm. said that there was 190 inch deer shot off the 40 to the north. And these people are out of state. And so oh. they're not used to hunting those types of properties. And I said, that's great. But if you're hunting one block of 90 acres and everything else is surrounded by ag, you guys are going to be upset when you guys are hunting the same exact deer, hunting the same exact days, using the same exact access. You're going to get frustrated. And they're like, well, I don't yeah. think so. And I said, I that's your decision, but I'm telling you like, that's, that's going to cross your mind during that time frame. So I think, um, just really leaning on someone that is going to give you honest feedback, whether it's good yeah. and bad to know what you're getting into. Cause I'm, there's, there's mistakes I've made. I bought my first farm two years ago and there's, there's things that are about that farm that, um, will be more careful about moving forward. So it's just, you got to get started. I think it's good to start smaller so you can learn all those things that are true deal yeah. breakers and uh, realize you're not going to have 40 acres with 20, you know, 50% tillable and a two acre pond and, and 200 inch <laughs> yeah. deer on it. Yeah. They just don't, they just, they're not out there. If they are, they're really expensive. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's uh, great advice there. And as far as, so, you know, a concept that I've kicked around and I've heard other guys talk about it, I'm pretty sure Bill Winky used kind of this model and, um, Oh, who else has done it? I think Skip Sly has kind of done this, and Steve Hansen's kind of done this, um, where guys will flip farms. Like, they'll buy yeah. – they kind of start small, and uh, they'll they'll uh, buy a small – like you mentioned, maybe it's even an undesirable piece, at least for agriculture. You know, like maybe it's a ravine. Oh, yeah. You know, a timbered yep. ravine. Yeah. And then they're going to put their blood, sweat, and tears and elbow grease into getting that thing – you know, getting some habit, habitat on there, maybe putting some food on there, uh, doing some TSI work. And uh, they, <clears throat> I should explain what TSI is. 
everyone hates it when people use acronyms that uh, people don't know what they are. This is the first time on our podcast. Timber stand improvement. So maybe they do that timber stand improvement work, and uh, now they can go and sell that farm for you know a certain percentage more than what they they bought it for. Is that a realistic thing for the everyday person to be doing, Jake? Or do you think, man, you are getting yourself into a you know, risky situation, you are, you know, you, it's going to take way more time than you think it will. Um, and then you, you would be surprised at how hard it can be to find a buyer for, let's say someone just start off like flipping 10 acres, how hard it can be to find someone to buy. Let's say you bought, you bought that 10 acres at, you know, let's say you double, you're trying to double your money. You bought it at, at uh 5,000, acre and you want to sell it for a hundred thousand and like you truly make it a nice spot you know it's not not the world's best but it's you know better than your average hunting spot is that a realistic dream for someone to have or is that just so much hassle you know that you would steer people away from that i would say the idea of doubling your money is probably not super realistic i would say let me back up. I think a, a, a good illustration of this is someone that buys their starter house. They know mm-hmm. they have, they buy it. They have no kids. They know they're not going to be there forever, but maybe yeah. they need to redo the kitchen and update the bathroom. And, you know, it isn't a good school district, but um, we're going to buy this and live in it for two years, maybe, maybe three years. And then as our family grows, we're going to, we're going to sell this and upgrade. I think that's the realistic approach, the same idea for land. So, you know, this isn't exactly what you need, but it's going to serve the purpose for the time being. And, oh, well, renovations take a lot longer. Oh, renovations are more expensive than what yeah. I thought. It's the same thing with land. It takes right. way longer and, and typically costs more. So I think that same illustration that people have been through more than likely throughout their life is something to really um, fall into with land. And then you may you may figure out too, and I see this as I've helped, helped people buy and sell houses too, and everyone wants a fixer-upper until you show them the fixer-upper. And they're like, why, yeah. why don't you go show me that? Why don't you show me that turnkey house down the road? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah we love this one. So I think that might even be the same thing for land too. It's like some people are more apt to do home projects. And, and I think it would be the same thing for farm projects. Some people have the skill sets to do so. And, and some people, maybe they don't. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's just being ultra realistic, what your skill sets are, what your goals are and what your timeline is. I think the idea of buying something and, you know, putting your, your blood, sweat, and tears into it and improving it a little bit and making a little bit and upgrading is an excellent, excellent uh, strategy. And I think there's been a lot of people that have done that effectively, but I, I think maybe there's this illusion of just uh, over overestimated gains and returns, like the double your money. And like, that's mm-hmm. where people were like, you might, you might be able to double your cash, but it might take you seven years <laughs> if you own that part for seven right. years, maybe. So I think there's just so many nuances that go into it. And right now, man, it's, hard harder to find a deal right now but inversely let's say you you rode this wave you bought your first farm two years ago that farm's worth more today than what it was two years ago if you didn't Mm. do anything so it's been hard to screw up the last two years i don't know if it's always going to be like that so uh someone listening to this today is just kind of my rules of thumb like have a really good emergency fund to where there is obviously inherent risk with borrowing money or or you know expend spending your cash on a farm like there's risk in everything, but try to be calculated, try to be realistic. Um, I just read the Illinois land report, like over the last 20 years, it's all about a a five to 7% annual appreciation of land. 
okay, so run that into your, your mathematic mathematical calculator. And if you can improve it and all those different things. So a really long winded answer, but no, that's it's great. That's exactly that's, what I was looking for. Yeah. That's kind of my, my general thoughts. And so, and the other thing too, is I think everyone has this perception of, I need to buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, and get to a big farm. If you're happy with that parcel yeah, and you're killing big deer, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Just because you yeah. go from a 40 to an 80 does not mean the hunting is going to be better on the yeah, new that's, 80. That's true. Yeah. So Do you have, you what, have, what's a, uh, so like in your, I know that you just, this is kind of challenging that I guess, and but like, what's your ideal? Like you say, like if you have 120 or 300 or like, what's, what's like the most, the best number you would say whitetail management or whatever, like to say, like you don't need, you'll never need more than this number. I, everyone I talk to that owns a lot wants to own more. So I would say like, <laughs> and like the, there's inherent issues with that. Like you're always sure. going to have neighbors no matter, no matter how big right. your farm is. Like that's just yeah, going to how, how it's going to be. But like for the average guy, I think, I think that I'm, I'm a spitball in here. Like it's obviously so dependent on neighborhoods and everything else, but right. like that one, well, that 120 to 200, I think there's enough yeah. to where if, if you have it really dialed in, Hopefully you'll be able to help some some bucks advance to the next next age class. There's going to be enough to be busy on it if you like yep. to do work on it, but maybe not to the point where it's overwhelming. And I yeah. think that's probably a, a fair thing. Like, yeah, I'm I'm just and I'm thinking of past clients too. I think that 120 to 200 is a really good number to have, in a, yeah. depending on the neighborhood. But I mean, I there's also small farms that are. I sold a 30 acre parcel last year and the client was sending me pictures of bucks on it all year and it was better yeah. than, than an 80 or 90 that I sold it. And I told mm. him that cause this is a really good spot. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, it is all, it's so dynamic, but I think that's a, that's a good goal. But sure. um, if you're happy with a 40 and you're, you're killing the caliber of deer you want and, and your family's involved with however you want them to be, nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all this interest and everything you said you started clear back in college when you got your real estate license and that had to feel pretty awesome by the way. Like, man, I'm doing, I'm doing big people stuff right now. <laughs> you guys are over here, you know, trying to wake up for class on time. I'm over here with my real estate, uh, license, <laughs> but, uh, that, that's, that's, that's pretty sweet. But where, where does all this passion for land and land management, you know, and working your own piece, where do you think that comes from? I think this is an illustration I've talked about with people before. So you guys moved to Iowa. And so, mm-hmm. uh, Caleb, I'm guessing you moved to Iowa. Not uh, Work was one thing, but was whitetails another part of it? I, it didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, it definitely <laughs> didn't hurt. You know, <laughs> the uh, that passion side of things, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the the parallel here is like the guys from Pennsylvania or Michigan that end up moving to Iowa. They moved there because they just want to have an opportunity to hunt good deer. Like yeah, that's right. that's really the driving factor for me. Yep. I grew up and didn't have access to like family-owned ground or anything. It was a lot of permission. There's always yep. this like drama and dumb stuff that was going on, or like Absolutely. It, it, just, it took so much of the enjoyment out of it for a long time. Where it, it just as a as a kid growing up, it just wasn't that fun. And as I got permission on some of these smaller pieces just to hunt by myself, I was having so much fun. And, and so I think growing up to not have access and do those things of like, man, it'd be so cool to cut that tree. Or could you imagine we put a food plot here? Or if we did this to do that, you couldn't do it. And so I think that's what kind of rooted is like, I just want a place that I can call my own and, and continue to learn these things because I don't know at all, but I want to, I want the proving grounds. I want to be able to get my hands dirty and learn the process myself. And I think that's kind of what 
drove me there and it's uh it's like you get your foot in the door and then so you buy the piece and now you're like okay well now how do i do this and you got to learn how to do that and like it's yeah. this uh unraveling thing that i just have so much enjoyment of just learning as much as possible and uh, thankfully uh, lucky enough to talk to people who are way smarter than me and help flatten that learning curve just a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah you know kind of part of the evolution of a deer hunter that i oftentimes see with guys who have similar passions to yourself is like uh you know when you're young it's all about man i gotta get out there and shoot a nice buck and mm -hmm. uh you like watch as they change and they become much more about the land management side of it than they are the hunting side do you think that's going to happen to you like do you think you're gonna like like i'm not saying you're gonna stop caring about deer hunting but uh -huh. like do you think that you're like just the way your natural inclinations are for land management, do you think that's going to become like the the biggest thrill for you? I think it's already there, of course, to it. I mean, <laughs> and the, not the end of not the end of twenty twenty two, but the end of twenty twenty one. I reflected mm -hmm. back and wrote down what my what my four favorite days of the year were, mm -hmm. and two or the three of the four were working on. <laughs> working on the farm <laughs> so it's like, i think that's like those are my favorite days like out there working with my wife spending the day like packing lunch and just you know working dark to dark and uh soaking up the sun and, and getting your hands dirty like yeah i thoroughly enjoy those but it's all in connection with hopefully having a more successful fall um yeah. if you took if you took that part away i still think i would do it <laughs> still have fun yeah but it's it's like i kind of working towards a a, a a consolidated goal to improve the habitat, have better opportunities. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally see that for sure. I think to your point, I know so many people that are like that where the, the hunting kind of becomes a byproduct of all the work that they do. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And if I, there, I think there's some purity to the motivation there too, you know, in that, uh, right. and, and, you know, going back to what you said about like how you love hunting, uh, late October, it's almost like, it appeals to our optimistic side. You know, when we're out there in October, like the best is still yet to come. I once heard on uh, the working class bow hunter podcast, they, they used to on their old episodes, they would, and maybe they still do this on occasion. Uh, they would ask kind of rapid fire questions of their guests, uh, you know, like a quick, and you do that sometimes on your show too. I like that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting. Um, but they asked, do you, are, do you prefer morning or evening hunts? And uh, one of the guys on their show, Eric, he's one of the main hosts on the podcast. He said, I like um, evenings best because it's always getting better. You know what I mean? Mm. Like up until last light, you're going to see like more and more deer are coming out. Whereas morning you get there and it's like, all right, you know the sun's up. This is supposed to be getting as good as it's going to get right now. And then it's just gradually getting worse as you like trend towards like 9am, you know, it's just like, it's shutting down. <laughs> and, and so that optimism side of it, I think that plays into that land management. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. as I'm doing this work, it's because I want there to be the next world record, typical frame buck <laughs> that's going to show up here in this, you know, in this food plot or in this bedding area, or I'm going to pick up his sheds over here on the South facing slope where I put all these cedars and, and I got this food in close proximity and everything. And, and like you, like it appeals to that. Would you agree with that? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's, that's an excellent way to put it. Yeah. 
Okay, you, would, you would mention a shed, of course not. <laughs> oh yeah, I, lo- I love shed hunting as much as I love uh, deer hunting. <laughs> if uh, <laughs> Jake, if you it. so when you sell a property or for yourself personally, number one, like first thing you do on a new farm is it TSI? Is it a burn? Is it enroll in CRP? Food plot? Like what would it be? Like what's the what's the number one thing? I run cameras. <laughs> there you go. All right, I like that. There we go. That, uh, yeah. Perfect. No, that's great. Get intel. Yeah. This right. is a reminder yeah, I mean, to tune into the Pick and Bones episode that we did with uh, Jake. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's a great answer. Yeah, I think running cameras for sure. And it's funny because I have some clients where we walk a farm and, you know, they end up wanting to buy it. And some guys just want to look at, let's say, 30% of the farm. They're like, look at the key highlights, follow the trail system, you know, hit these different spots. And I have other clients that want to walk through every single square inch mm-hmm. of that farm, which is cool because I like to do it too. Yeah. I think that that would be if I, for whatever reason, I did not do that. I, I want to go walk as much as possible and, and just and have a backpack full of cameras. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I like that. That's a good question, Caleb, for sure. Okay, so uh, you know, as we wind this one down here a little bit, I want to make sure that we talk about your role with um, Exodus and uh, uh, doing the Land Podcast as well. You're, you're really you are the voice of Exodus Trail Cameras, really, <laughs> and uh, it's a cool it's a cool role to play in. Um, How did you end up get getting in? You know, getting into that line of business with with exodus and and then you know i'm sure i imagine that that naturally flowed in well with doing the land podcast as well yeah it's it's kind of an ironic story so the kind of cliff notes version of it was i went to school in iowa actually for my first two years of education i had a full tuition scholarship it was a for-profit school and uh, i was in canada fishing on vacation my roommate calls me like hey our, our school's closing I'm like, what? Oh, my. like i didn't know that was a real thing i didn't know a college could close and so um, I, I ended up transferring to Western Illinois University. But during my college times, I was writing for a website called Wide Open Spaces. And before oh, yeah. that, actually, yep. Yep. actually, I'm, I'm kind of watching this. So grew up on a deer farm. My freshman year, I read an article on Forbes, like how people could build businesses off of social media. So like this is right when Twitter is starting to pop mm-hmm. off and Facebook and everything else. So I started a deer hunting Twitter page and grew it to like 100,000 followers. Wow. And so I, I did that. And the entrepreneur in me said, okay, I have this audience. It's very curated. They like deer hunting. What can I sell them? I'm a poor college kid. I don't have hardly any money, like maybe 700 bucks in my account. What can I buy in order to sell these people? And so I was like, oh, I, we have deer. So I actually started a small deer business, deer pee business and oh, built a website and everything else. The cost of goods was, you know, pee and, and, yeah. you know, cheap <laughs> bottles. So, yep. um, I started that business and, um, which is kind of cool. I would collect it and ship it the same day. So that was oh, kind of the, cool. wow. the shtick. So, uh, we did that. And then the I was writing, the bottle, was, the bottle was still sticky when you got it, right? <laughs> warm. You, still yeah, warm. It, still warm. <laughs> and so I started writing for a, a website called wide open spaces and leveraging some of the other things I had going on. And then I wrote like 700 articles for them over my time being with them. And, I was reaching out to different companies that were just getting started. And I saw Exodus in 2015 was launching. They had their five-year no BS warranty, five-year theft and damage coverage. I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I mm-hmm. sent a cold email um, to the uh, to Chad, who's my business partner now, and said, hey, uh, would you guys be interested in giving a camera? And I'll do a full you know review. And I understand how Google works. I'll make sure it ranks for the first page for these specific keywords. And so I did that. And then actually just kind of stayed in touch with them. And I had to graduate 
I had to get an internship to graduate. And so I just got my real estate license and I actually had a internship lined up with a real estate attorney and kind of just got the impression it was not going to be a really fun office to work in. They had two paralegals that have been there for like 30 or 40 years. And I could mm. tell we're, we're territorial, which yeah. uh, understandably. And, and so I went to the ATA show and basically had a meeting with Exodus. Like I have to have an internship to graduate. I assume you guys could use an intern. Uh, these are my skill sets. I hope there's, if I make an impact in the business, there'll be more. Op- I started as an intern and went on the, the trade show circuit with them. I think we did like 17 trade shows that spring. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so I was their first uh, employee and just basically kept saving up all my money. And then uh, there were some ownership changes throughout that time. And uh, I was able to buy a good chunk of the company and become a principal uh, co-owner of it in 2018 and just have been working hard since then. So, I mean, really started at employee ID number one as an intern and, <laughs> cool. and uh, just, cool. uh, you know, handled a lot of uh, the marketing and that's, it's been a wild ride. And so doing that, and obviously I had my real estate license even back before I started at Exodus and just had a, just had a calling of just to start the podcast. It, actually, it's kind of funny. I was sitting on my couch. I had two podcasts in the bank and I recorded an intro so they're coming out every single Monday. I just pressed publish and I was like, all right, well now I have to. As I said, I'm coming out every Monday. And uh, that was probably reckless of me because it's been really hard to stay on task all the time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I just, uh, I don't know. I think we're almost to 100 land podcast episodes and the Exodus podcast, we started in 18. And I think we're, we're at 300 or pretty darn close to it. So that's awesome. Recorded man. a bunch. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, you're a driven person. Like that's, that's very, that's very uh, clear to pick up on. You, you see something, you go and tackle it. And so much of the world, I think, and I I think I've said this on a recent podcast, like so much of the world can be divided into people who talk about like wanting to do something. And then the people that, man, they just jump into it. You know, it's, it's, uh, they're, they're, they're going in. You're one of those people. And I think that I love talking to people like that. It makes the world seem so much more attainable, if that makes sense. Like. It, it is like it's really just comes down to action as dumb as that is in how cliche it is you just you just figure stuff out as you go and just there's so much information resources i always feel like i'm one phone call away from figuring something out or maybe two phone calls away or uh you know <laughs> yeah. 15 google searches away like, there's always an answer out there or or figure it out along the way so i yeah i couldn't agree more i i'm not any smarter than the next guy i just I don't know. I just keep going until I figure it out and, and then continue to try to figure it out beyond that. Cause no one's perfect and you can always learn something. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's awesome man, cool. that, that you're, you're willing to do that and, and, uh, that you just kind of charge in there and, and, uh, learn to fly while you're going. That's, that's, that's cool. And, uh, you know, story. yeah. And there's something for all of us, you know, myself included here to learn from Jake being willing to do that, take those risks, see the high payoff and, uh, you know, you can, you can live out your dreams. You know, a lot of people would love, love to be working in the hunting industry and, uh, the, the money is there. <laughs> it's what is it? It's almost a trillion dollar industry, right? Yeah. yeah I was just going to say, so I had, I had a job offer out of Austin, Texas for a really good job. Uh, like it was the, it was the, what everyone always talks like, follow, follow your dreams or follow the money. Yep. And it was, five times salary. I'm going to make an exit <laughs> wow. to help illustrate this. And I don't, I don't come from much. There's a lot of money to start out mm-hmm. as a you know fresh college kid. And, um, my gut just said like this, like that, those job opportunities will always be there. And yeah. if I go join Exodus and it doesn't work out or if something like 
those skill sets along the way of like getting thrown into the fire is that's transferable no matter what. And so uh, that, yeah, not a lot of money in the outdoor industry. <laughs> you do it because you love it and you yeah. have, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's a misconception. I know you're just joking around, but just for anyone that didn't yeah, catch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough to make a lot of money in the outdoor industry for sure. But, but you know, if you do follow your passion, you know, there's, there's, there's work out there for you. And man, I couldn't agree with you more about following your passion as opposed to following the money. You know, I recently right. did a huge career change to do what I'm doing now. And, uh, it's made every aspect of life better. And, uh, not just for me, for my family too. And, uh, they would, my, you know, they would tell you that, well, my kids probably wouldn't, my kids would probably say like, you know, <laughs> bluey, but my wife would tell you, my wife would tell you that life is better since doing that. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's another good valuable lesson there that people, people need to consider. All right. Uh, as we wrap this one up from your unique perspective, from these different avenues of the hunting world that you're in, you're in there as a hunter, you're in there as a landowner, you're in there as a podcast host, you're in there as a, someone who is marketing, um, hunting products. Where do you see like, like 25 years from now, what is, what is hunting going to look like? Is, is, do you think like, like right now, I feel like we're in the media phase of hunting big time and not that, Sure. It didn't exist before, but I mean, like, you know, here I am, a guy that's got a hunting podcast, talking to a, a guy who's got two hunting podcasts and, uh, <laughs> you know, talking to a guy who's done some, uh, filming for, of his hunts and stuff, you know, like the, the, the I, I guess that's kind of how I would describe the current phase where it's kind of the, the media phase. Like, do you think, and maybe you can approach this from like what we saw, we talked about going on in Kansas on our picking bones episode, or we, you know, is it going to become more specialized where, where people are only focusing on one thing? I mean, just what, what do you kind of see like 25 years from now, what's hunting going to be like, are we going to still see the big Western push? You know, what, what is it that, that people are going to be doing? So there's something I put a lot of thought into actually. So I, I grew up with an area with, really rich duck hunting history. So mm -hmm. really big clubs. Some of the oldest clubs in the state of Illinois are, you know, just a few minutes away from where I, from where I live. Mm. Cool. And very cool. And so that was a big deal in the 1900s, early 1900s. And, and now they don't kill as many ducks and those clubs are mm. still there, but it, it very became a, I don't want to say elitist, but it, you had, there was a, there was a barrier to entry that was pretty, large and mm. so now the general access for duck hunting or waterfowl hunting in this area is you know limited to the to blind draws and now they have right you you basically get 20 people in your group to all put in their name so you hopefully have an opportunity mm. to draw yep. a blind so you can duck hunt. and so i unfortunately think that i could see whitetail hunting get more towards that as well so mm. if someone that is wants to have exceptional hunting you're going to need a large piece of ground in reality for that and i think with some of the tools that are available to that make killing deer easier. Like there's no way around saying that, that mm -hmm. it's just going to be harder. I think to have really exceptional hunting for the average guy. I know that sounds super depressing, but no, <laughs> it's no, just it, like, it's, it's just that it's the, it's this kind of the same system that I, I could seek to repeat. Um, if, you know, access becomes uh, harder for people yeah. and things get more, uh, combined and, and and a lot of these folks have you know they come in and they buy a large piece and they continue to add to it and if you're not on that then 
you're less likely to have exceptional hunting. So, um, I could see it getting to that and I feel like it's already kind of to that point, but I think mm-hmm. that's, that's probably how I would answer that. And I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy, but that's just my candid, <laughs> candid feedback. Well, it's, it's a, it's a challenge to all of us to not let it get there. You know, um, right. we were talking about before we started recording, how I, I met uh skip slide for the first time last week and we had a great conversation and, and he just really lobbied hard. And I, and you talked about this a little bit in, in your recent interview with him, Again, some of these uh, changes that were proposed in Iowa for whitetail hunting, and and honestly, I, I you know I'm a resident here. I was born in Iowa, um, so obviously I'm biased. But uh, we like to say we're the whitetail state, and, uh, and you are, it, and it's <laughs> and it's because of the preservation, the built-in preservation uh, safeguards for protecting that resource, and that's exactly what Skip was lobbying to protect. He was lobbying to protect the, the, the safeguards, you know, because mm-hmm. they're starting to, they're, they're starting to be like peeled back a little bit, you know, like, well, what about this? What if we, you know, what if we did start allowing crossbows for everybody? What if we did start allowing non-resident landowners to automatically get a tag and that tag could be transferable? Like they could sell it or, you know, or give it to their, a family member or something, you know, uh, what if, you know, they've even looked at like r- lowering the, the poaching fine fee on, on, uh, you know, shooting, you know, on poaching deer. And mm. there's, you know, and that's, that's probably coming from, you know, non hunting groups that lose money because of deer, <laughs> you know, right. insurance, um, ag, you know, whatever, uh, the there's all these lobbying things that try to attack the the things that Iowa is kind of the last the last great whitetail state to have all of those safeguards in place you know you look at how easy it is as a non-resident to go hunt your state Illinois which is a phenomenal whitetail state or to go hunt Indiana or to go hunt Wisconsin or to go hunt uh, Missouri or to go hunt Kansas or to go Nebraska's you know to their credit there's still a little bit of a challenge to to getting some tags there but but uh you know these other states have have open these things up and have, and then the same thing could be said for, I think pretty much all of states, even Ohio too, that I should have thrown them in there uh, with crossbows as well. Mm-hmm. And, and the ease of harvest has, has been, has been established and they aren't what they used to be or what they could be once again because of that. And it fits in line with what you're saying as a diminished final result for, for what you can chase after. And of course, I think if we went through here and said, you know, trophy quality is important to us, but it's not the only factor that, that we're interested in. Um, but it still is important. It's still very important. Uh, um, and, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, something that should be protected. And so I don't think you're being a negative Nancy. I think you're, you're issuing a challenge to people. Don't, don't let the Kansas trail camera thing tune into that pick and bones episode. Jake's got a great point. There. Don't let that happen again, where we, we get caught like sleeping on the, the whole issue. Yeah. And then you're left with one yep. guy in the room being the only voice against 10 other people, uh, that don't agree with him and are shooting him down. You know, we gotta, we gotta, uh, we gotta show up in force to protect these things that, 
that uh, we we hold dear. So no pun intended. So, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's a it, it's a great point made by Jake. So yeah, fun getting your perspective. Uh, how can people follow along with you, man? Yeah, so you can head over to exodusoutdoorgear.com and find everything we have there for sale. Um, we have the Exodus podcast, new episodes every single Tuesday, the Land podcast, new episodes every single Monday. And we have a pile of YouTube videos on the Exodus YouTube channel. And then I have some land uh, highlight clips from the podcast as well on, on my YouTube channel, just Jake Hofer. Very good. Yep. So follow along there and I'll put uh, Jake's Instagram handle in uh, uh, the show notes on this. If you want to follow Jake along and see what he's up to, um, you need to post more, man. You got an interesting life. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I struggle with that. Sometimes uh, I always feel like I should try to at least post once a month and then like, I don't know. I just, it sounds so dumb. But I feel no, like I, tr- t- I try to live a private, I try to live a private life, but then here I have two podcasts. <laughs> right. It's over, like, man. You just, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah, funny. No, I resonate yeah. with that though. I get yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. No, but definitely check out uh, all of Jake's content. Definitely check out Exodus uh, trail cameras. Uh, it's been great getting to talk with you, Jake. Really appreciate you uh, giving so much of your evening to us tonight. We just, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation one of my favorite podcasts we've done done and done in a while we talked to all kinds of great people but you're just a, an easy person to talk to a lot of fun talking um thank you to caleb for also jumping on for this episode and thank you to you the listeners for tuning in each and every week multiple times a week if you haven't yet please leave a review five star would make me really happy but what would make me even more happier is if you would just reach out to me and talk to me i love interacting with listeners it's fun it's it's uh, great hearing uh your perspectives um especially when like on a pick and bones issue you weigh in on that and tell me your opinion mm, now we're getting closer to the truth as we hear everybody's opinion so make sure you reach out talk to me that way you can hit me up on instagram or uh, uh facebook or even on go wild you got an account there you you can you can uh, go to and, and I love interacting with you anyway you can reach out and uh, make sure also that you checked out check out our presenting sponsor Spartan Forge Spartan Forge founded and still run by a veteran of our uh, US military a retired military intelligence man is Bill Thompson and there is not a better dude in the hunting industry Uh Bill pours his life into Spartan Forge, and that's what makes it such an awesome product. Uh, You can, of course, benefit from the mapping, and you can actually download all the mapping features for free. But if you want to have, like, all the weather data and all the deer behavior prediction data, you subscribe to those as needed, and you can do that just during deer season if you need. And there's some other really big, cool things coming here soon with Spartan Forge on other species other than just whitetails. But if you are a whitetail hunter, you absolutely need to have Spartan Forge in your pocket. So download the app and subscribe to those features that you need. You won't regret it. And then, of course, don't forget about our longest sponsor, Alex Gruen over at East West Hunts. Alex Gruen is a top-notch hunt planner. The guy has a very long list of clients, but he still has room for you, and you should jump on there. Um, This weekend, I believe, Alex and a bunch of his clients are getting together for his annual uh, turkey hunt. He invites uh, different guys that, uh, that subscribe to his services every year to come together and hunt turkeys in the premier turkey state of Michigan. And uh, that could be you. Uh, so get signed up with Alex. Go to eastwesthunts.com and you can find that link in the show notes. 
as well. And uh, when you uh, go to check out with whatever features you have, or sorry, whatever service you're getting, uh, whether it's going to be gear rental, it's going to be hunt planning, tag app, services, whatever it is, use the first gen 10 promo code first gen 10 save yourself 10 percent off of whatever you book with alex and you can roll that money into an exodus trail camera or a spartan forge subscription or whatever it is that you need maybe you need to just save money so you can buy your own piece of dirt and you can uh, change it how you want whatever it is use that promo code first gen 10 save yourself little dinero that way well thanks again fellas thank you again to all the listeners until next time everyone i mean it take care and take someone hunting